The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. This morning, as we look into the seventh chapter of the book of Mark, I want to tell you just a, a brief little story that you may have heard already. There was a woman who had just gotten married, and uh, on Thanksgiving, she was going to cook a ham. And her newlywed husband was watching all that she was doing and, and noticed that uh, she had this big pan and she laid it out and she took the ham and on one end she cut about two or three inches off and on the other end she cut about two or three inches off of the ham. And then she put it in the pan and she put it in the oven. And the man asked her, said, sweetheart, why did you cut the ends off the ham? And she looked at him and said, well, you know, that's the way mama did it. That's the way mama did it. Now, I want you to keep that story in your mind as we look into the, the seventh chapter of the book of Mark. Verse 1, then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables." And then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, that is Jesus, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed or unwashing hands? Now remember, we are just coming off an episode where in chapter 6, there's, there's some very, uh, uh, very big stuff that Jesus has done. In one account, he has, uh, he has fed 5,000 people with, with just a few little fishes and loaves. In another account, he has uh, stayed on the land while his disciples went to sea, and they got caught up in a great storm, but that didn't deter Jesus. He went walking on the water. He, he went walking on the very thing they were afraid of to get to their little vessel, and he saved them. We didn't really go through it, but verses 53 through 56 in chapter 6 tell us about how that after they came over uh, to the other side of the, of the sea, uh, there were many people that came through to, to him. They ran throughout the whole region, and, and they began to gather up all those that were sick and all those that had the palsy and all those that were bedridden, and they just laid them in the streets, just, just beseeching him to just touch them as he passed by and it says at the very last verse there as many as touched him were made whole we've come off some big stuff that Jesus has done some major events in that region 
And then we come right into chapter 7 where we see a bunch of Pharisees, the religious leaders of that time, and a bunch of scribes who were also religious leaders that, that had come from Jerusalem to the place where he was to see what was going on. And apparently they missed the whole point of all that other stuff. And they said, look, all we see is your disciples aren't washing their hands like they're supposed to. What had happened leading up to this is that the Jews had certain traditions that had been implemented into Judaism in the day of Jesus. These traditions had complicated Judaism to the point where many of these traditions surpassed the principles that, had been, that should have been taught. But the traditions were complicating Judaism. And here we see the problem in, in, in the first few verses of, of chapter 7. Uh, notice what happened. It says in verse 2, they found fault. They found fault. Literally, that means to place blame. Now, now I want to say to you, beloved, if you ever, ever suspect that you yourself are becoming a legalist, you need to ask yourself, am I finding fault with everything around me? Because one of the clearest identifying marks of a legalist is that they find fault with just about everything. They, they, uh, uh, they place blame on a regular basis. You're not doing this. You're not following the rules that I think you ought to be following. Uh, that's one of the clearest identifying marks of a legalist. Uh, we've seen that. And not in our area, not in our uh, our church here, thank, praise the Lord, but uh, I've seen it in other churches in the past. I've seen it where churches find fault with other churches. They start picking here and needling there, and, and the next thing you know, there's loss of fellowship and lack of fellowship. One of the clearest identifying marks of a legalist is finding fault with those around him. Now, let me just let me take you on a brief side trip, a quick side note. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying because anything goes is not the theme song of the church, okay? I'm not saying that, oh, well, you just live your life and whatever you think is right is right for you and whatever I think is right is right for me. That's not what this is pre teaching to you and that's not what I'm preaching to you. You see, there are places where God has clearly spoken and where God has clearly spoken, we may not remain silent. Uh, the, the, the clearest example of that that comes to mind is fornication. Uh, in the Corinthian church, there was, there was rampant fornication among the membership. And Paul said, you can't let that go on. Anything goes is not the theme song of the church. But by the same token, when the legalist has a rule for everything. <laughs> you know, uh, and in here, what was happening was that these Jews had a tradition that had arisen outside the law. It was not a part of the scripture. I, I won't go through it. It's kind of hard to prove a negative. I encourage you to read the law, and you won't find an Old Testament scripture that commands this kind of washing of hands and so forth. And this wasn't like a, this wasn't a hygienic thing. This wasn't cleaning your hands. This was a ceremonial washing. I, I'd read up doing a little study on this. There was 
there was a certain way they did it uh, according to tradition. They would, uh, someone would pour water on their hands with their fingers pointed up. Then they would pour water on their hands with their fingers pointed down. And then they would take their fists and rub them. You know, and it, it wasn't really a cleansing thing. It was a ceremonial thing. I, I read a story about a Jewish uh, priest who was put in a Roman jail and nearly starved to death because instead of drinking the water that they gave him in the jail, uh, he would use it to clean his hands and to do that ceremonial washing every single time that, uh, uh, that they brought him food. So there was a rule here that was a tradition that had become a commandment. These practices had arisen among the religious Jews, and even though there was no Old Testament scripture that commanded washing in this way, the Jews of Jesus' day... Uh, equated these rules with scriptural commands. The Jewish Mishnah was a compilation of Jewish oral laws that was made around 200 AD. But listen, it devoted over 35 pages of instruction to the washing in the ceremonial way alone. That, that over 35 pages dedicated to ceremonial washing. I'll give you a couple other examples of some rules that that, had, that existed in Jesus' day and that survived even uh, into the uh, early centuries of A.D. So the Mosaic Law says you're not to do work on the Sabbath day. You're to, you're to observe the Sabbath. You're to keep the Sabbath. You're to honor the Sabbath. You're not to do work. So, so the, the religious leadership had devised other rules to try to help out. So, for example, you couldn't look in the mirror on the Sabbath day, because if you looked in the mirror on the Sabbath day and saw a gray hair, you might be tempted to pull it out, and that'd be doing work on the Sabbath day. This, this wouldn't necessarily affect me, but it might affect some of y'all. You couldn't wear your false teeth on the Sabbath day, because if they fell out, you'd have to pick them up, and that would be work. <laughs> you couldn't carry a handkerchief on the Sabbath, but you could wear it. So if you were in one room and wanted to take the handkerchief to another room to go blow your nose, you could take the handkerchief and tie it around your neck and wear it into the other room and then untie it and blow your nose in the other room. But otherwise, it would be considered work. You had to be careful where you spit because if it landed on dirt and you scuffed that dirt with your shoe, you'd be cultivating the soil and that would be working on the Sabbath. And did you know there was actually a debate about a man with a wooden leg? If the house caught on fire, could he pick it up and carry it out with him? <laughs> okay? Now, I don't know the answer to that one, but that's a true debate that they had. They never did come to a, con a conclusion on that. Now, here was the problem. The problem was all these man-made rules that were not God's commandments. And when they saw that the disciples were not following these man-made traditions, they began to attack them and they attacked Jesus himself. And they basically were saying, why do your, he says, why do your disciples not do this? What are you teaching them? Why are you not telling them what they ought to be doing? They're not observing our traditions. What kind of rabbi are you? <laughs> What kind of teacher are you? The Jews found fault with the disciples. But more important than that is that Jesus found fault with them. 
Jesus found fault with them. Notice beginning in verse 6. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. Jesus finds fault with them. He condemns their traditions and their legalism. And notice how he does it. He does it in the way he almost always does it, by going to the Scripture. And that, you know, that was Jesus' go-to response. Anytime somebody challenged him, almost every... Hey, the most important time somebody challenged him, when Satan himself was tempting him, he didn't make up something new. He didn't go about spouting common sense wisdom. He said, it is written. It is written. Here he, he goes to the scripture. He says, well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you? <clears throat> now, I want you to notice something here. You might turn with me back over to Isaiah chapter 29, because that's where he's quoting from. And you're going to say, when you read this, let's just read it. Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13. This is what Isaiah says. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men, therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid." Now, I want you to, first of all, again, a little bit of a side trail here. But you'll notice that, that Jesus is not quoting this exactly. In a sense, he's paraphrasing what is, what is said in Isaiah chapter 29 and verses 13 and 14. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus made a mistake here, that he misquoted. He didn't do that. Anytime Jesus takes an Old Testament scripture and, 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 and changes it a little bit or doesn't quote it exactly the way it's written in the Old Testament, he's not violating scripture. He, when he paraphrases it and when he does that, he's clarifying it. He's clarifying. Now, he can do that. <laughs> he can do that without any mischaracterization. Now, you'll notice that sometimes... Me or Brother Buddy or Brother John Morgan or any other preacher that's up here, we'll sometimes paraphrase a scripture. We won't go quote it. We'll say, this is what it says, and we'll tell you we're paraphrasing it. And, and we try to get it right. We try to, 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 to say it in a way that is, is consistent with what the, the scripture literally says. But sometimes we may mess it up. I've, I've paraphrased scripture before, and I've messed it up. <laughs> I've missed the point, and I've been called to task on that, and, and I should be. But just understand that Jesus Christ never messed it up. He's the only person in history, he's the only preacher in the history of man who can take a scripture and paraphrase it, and his paraphrase is scripture. <laughs> Think about that. He's, he's taken the scripture, he's paraphrased it, He's maybe added a little to it and, or, or given us a new, uh, a new spin on it that we hadn't thought about, and he hadn't done any violence to the Scripture. He has, he has simply 
clarified it so that we understand it a little bit better. And by doing this, he redirects the conversation. Uh, he take, you know, I, I promise you, beloved, if you, when you get into a theological discussion with somebody, uh, it's great to be able to use some examples. It's great to be able to use modern day examples. Jesus used, often used uh, 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 examples involving farming that those people would understand. It's, it's wonderful when you can do that, but you can't beat Scripture. You can't beat Scripture. When somebody is talking to you about uh, the doctrines of grace, there's no better response to them than to go to one of the, the, the scriptures that teaches us that. Romans 8, 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. <laughs> you know, and so forth. And you know, you, you can say, well, I think so and so. I think it ought to be this way. Somewhere it says this, go, go to the scripture. Ephesians 1, 4, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. You know, when you start talking about Scripture, you might disagree over its interpretation, but you cannot, if you accept, if you both accept Scripture as the inspired Word of God, you cannot disagree over what it says. And especially when those Scriptures are plain, <laughs> which really most of them are, I'll tell you. God's not playing hide the ball. He's not, he didn't put something in here and say, well, now this right here is too complicated for you and I to understand. Actually, Part of the problem with Scripture and the teachings of the true gospel of the grace of God is that it's so simple, people like to complicate it. Amen. People like to, you know, I don't, you know, <laughs> you remember, you remember the, the, the Syrian, Naaman the Syrian who had leprosy? And, uh, and the man of God told the little, uh, little girl that worked for him, said, you tell him to go down to Jordan and bathed seven times, dipped seven times in Jordan. He looked at her and said, it can't be that easy. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing now, okay? Go back and read the story. But he's basically said, that's, there's no way. That's all there is to it. <laughs> it can't be that easy. And then, of course, she said, you know, if, if he told you some complicated mess, you'd have done it. <laughs> he said, okay, I'll try it. He goes down and dips seven times and comes up clean. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? How simple, how simple the true teachings of God's word is. You know, in our case, involving the salvation of his people, he saved us from our sins. That's what he said he was going to do, right? In Matthew 1.21, he said, he shall, that she shall bring forth a child. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It's very simple. That's the good news. That's the gospel. See, that's the good news that will free you. That's the truth that will make you free. It's not the truth. By the way, he didn't say the truth will get you to heaven. The truth never got anybody to heaven. The truth tells us about how we get to heaven. <laughs> and the truth frees us here from the bondage of going about to establish our own righteousness. And instead, it shows us the righteousness of Christ. The simple gospel of the grace of God. <clears throat> Jesus brings forth this scripture and tells us some things about it and shows us its application. He says, here is a people whose heart is far from me. They talk a good game, but they're, they're not living what they're talking in fact, they are legalists, and he goes on to call them a particular name. He calls them hypocrites. 
hypocrites. Now, now before I go there, let me, let me also say one other thing about what Jesus is doing here. Jesus never denigrates or dismisses the Old Testament. He never says, oh, well, that Old Testament's old fogey. It's, you know, it's done with. You, you need to forget about that. He never does that. Because he didn't come to dismiss. He came to fulfill. He didn't come to destroy. He came to fulfill that Old Testament. See, when you understand that the Old Testament is not divorced from where we are today, it's simply pointing to where we are today. It's a tie, it is telling us throughout the Old Testament that Jesus Christ, that there had to be a perfect sacrifice that was coming one day to, to finally and fully put away sin. That's what all those Old Testament sacrifices were. That wasn't, you know, there was actually a, a heresy that went around uh, in the early parts of, uh, of the first and second, third centuries that said that, uh, said that the God of the Old Testament, it was kind of a dualism. The God of the Old Testament was basically Satan. And, and there was a big battle and that by the time of the New Testament, he was deposed and the God of the New Testament is our God of grace. That's not the truth at all, beloved. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament. Grace permeates that Old Testament, even though law was the way that it was displayed. But what he, it, there wasn't a bloodthirsty God in the Old Testament who was just wanting all these animals to be sacrificed and blood to be on his altar. God wasn't bloodthirsty in trying to kill animals. He was loving and gracious and kind in showing his people then that there had to be a perfect sacrifice and it had to be a perfect man who would be coming to make that perfect sacrifice. You know, in the, parable, in the, uh, uh, in the ceremony of the scapegoat, it's the clearest picture of the Lord Jesus Christ I know of where the high priest would lay his hands on the head of the goat and he would confess the sins of all the children of Israel uh, that were in, over the head of that goat and then a fit man would lead that goat out into the wilderness and turn him loose into a land not inhabited and then guess what the fit man came back but the sins in type on the head of that goat stayed guess what Jesus is, has done He's put away our sins. He's taken them into a place not inhabited. He's, he's buried them in the depths of the sea. He's blotted them out as a thick cloud. He's done all that was necessary. Our fit man put away our sins. And he is coming back one day without sin unto salvation. Read Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 26 sometime. What a type. What a glorious thing that is. He, Jesus didn't come to dismiss or destroy the Old Testament. He came to fulfill it. But as he sits here watching what his people have done to the beauty of the Old Testament scriptures, they have taken their traditions and they have piled them on top of the Old Testament Mosaic law to the point where you cannot even see what it is that the Mosaic law wanted us to see. They have covered it up with their traditions. You know what he calls them? He says... In verse 6, well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. That's a pretty harsh word, isn't it? You hypocrites. You know what the word hypocrite means? It comes from the Greek word for actor. And to, and to really get the full sense of this word, you need to understand how Greek plays went, how, how, they, how they worked. 
you would have two or three actors, sometimes just one actor, that played all the parts. And the way you knew when they were switching from one part to the next is they had a little mask that they would put up. So if he was playing a, a man or maybe a king, you'd put a little mask up with a crown on it. And you knew that he was now playing that part. Uh, there weren't any women actors, so sometimes the men had to play the, the ladies' parts. And if you had a female, a queen, you put that mask on. Animals spoke. If you had a donkey or you had a tiger, or a, they'd put that mask on. And they were just constantly switching parts. That's a pretty appropriate way to describe what these Pharisees were doing. And I'm sorry to say, sometimes what we do. You ever found yourself playing a part? I, I'll tell you, beloved, there's times I've come to this church and felt like I was playing a part. I don't belong here. If you knew what I'd been doing and what I'd been thinking, I mean, my goodness, I can somewhat control what I'm doing. But man, my thought life, if you knew what was in my mind, let me put my church mask on and come here. Okay? You know, isn't that one of the big criticisms we get? So, well, I'm not going to that church. It's just full of a... A bunch of hypocrites. You know what my response to that is? One more ain't going to hurt. Just come on. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, beloved, because of, our, because of our sin nature, we are all hypocrites. We are. We are, we are dual-natured. We've got the old Adam man, and I don't care how much you try to squelch him down, how much you try to hold him down, those thoughts and those actions and those responses to those situations like, like getting caught in traffic or somebody cutting you off in traffic. Um, I'll tell you, we, I've, some of you know the story of while we were on our, our trip, we were, uh, uh, we were headed to our cabin at about 11 o'clock at night. It was dark. And, uh, and I'll tell you, a grizzly bear came running out of, of the, of the uh, woods to the right of our, our car and ran down the road in front of us. And I was not thinking about Scripture when that grizzly bear ran out. I promise you. I, I could, you could very much think, oh, he's a hypocrite if you knew what I was thinking. But I'll tell you, beloved, that's the way we all are. But the point that Jesus is making here is we should not let that be the way that we deal with, our, with other people in our lives, and especially with our religion. There's a, there's a sense in which we're all hypocrites, but we do not have to act it out. One of the beauties of the new birth is it gives us the opportunity and the ability to serve the Lord in a way we couldn't serve Him before. He said, you're hypocrites. You're hypocrites. And see, there's a threefold problem here. <clears throat> he says in verse 7, they're worshiping in vain because they are teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. They're teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. They were not just struggling with their inner man they weren't just struggling like we all do to uh to, to to try to do the right thing and know you're failing and therefore uh feel like you are a hypocrite they were actually teaching these things uh that are not god's commandments they were teaching the uh the commandments of men as if they were doctrine <clears throat> and in verse 8 it says laying aside the commandment of god they were holding the tradition of men. So they weren't just teaching commandments of men on top of God's commandments. They were actually laying them aside. 
And then in verse 9, he says, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. You know what had happened to them? Their own traditions had built up so large in their minds and in their lives that they couldn't abide any scripture that violated that. They couldn't stand, they couldn't, they would dismiss and reject any scripture that went contrary to the traditions that they were holding to. Essentially, what they were teaching is that the way to God is through keeping all the rules, doing all the right things. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound familiar in our day? Can you think of any traditions that have complicated Christianity today? Can you think of any teachings out there that focus upon the sinner and what the sinner has to do and what you've got to keep, the commandments you've got to keep in order that you can be right with God? Now listen, I understand. I understand that there are Ways in which we can be um, distant from God and our fellowship can be broken. But they were teaching that you've got to do these things in order to even have a relationship with God. You know, there's a big difference in relationship and fellowship, isn't there? <clears throat> you know, I am my father's son by relation. He is my father. And my relationship with my father will always be that I am his son. But when he was alive, I could have done things that completely broke our fellowship. I could have cursed him. I could have left and never spoken to him again. And guess what? I still would be his son. That relationship never changes, but I'd have no fellowship with him. But that's not what the, the Pharisees were teaching. They were teaching that when you don't wash your hands, for example, in a ceremonial way, you're, you're basically going to hell. <laughs> you're not dotting all the I's. You're not crossing all the T's. You're not doing what we think you should be doing. You're not keeping all the rules. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds familiar. And then Jesus goes on. <laughs> he condemns their traditions. He condemns their legalism. And then he exposes the inconsistencies with that. Let, let me just say this to you about a legalist. Someone who's uh, like these Pharisees, got all the rules, and you've got you to keep all the rules, okay? They're always going to find a way around the rules. <laughs> They're always going to find something to fit their situation that will go around the rules. And notice what Jesus said. He, he uses one example here, verse, verse 9. Full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. And this is what he uses here, verse 10. He said, I'm going to give you an example. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, mother, let him die the death. But ye say, let me stop right there. Anytime you read a scripture and, and you say, but, you better be careful. <laughs> You better be careful. I know it says this, but be very careful because you're treading on dangerous ground. 
uh, if nothing more, you're going to be treading on ground where you'll be confused and you'll be violating or, or not understanding the Scripture the way the Bible teaches it. He says, but ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is korban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things ye do. In other words, this isn't the only thing. This is just one example. Now, what he's saying here is this, and just to kind of uh, explain that a little bit. The word korban there means a gift, or it is a gift, okay? And it's about a gift offered to God. You remember in Exodus 20, 12, it says, Honor thy father and thy mother. And, and it goes on to talk about that thy days may be long on the earth and so forth. That includes providing for their needs as they get older. That includes not neglecting them, okay? But what these, these Pharisees and scribes were telling people is, look, you can get around that by just saying, what I've got is dedicated to the Lord. This is a gift to the Lord, whether you've given it to the temple or whether you still say, this is, this is, Mama, I'd be glad to help you, but I've got this dedicated to the Lord. I know you're starving. I know you're begging on the streets. I know you don't have what you need, but listen, I, I'd be glad to, but, you know, I'd be glad to take you to your doctor's appointment. But this is a Mercedes, you know, and it's God's Mercedes. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, I, I don't have, I'm doing God's work. I, I got to tell this story, Brother Buddy is going to remind, Brother Buddy's probably going to tell it if I don't. <clears throat> don't think your pastor escapes these problems as well. And, and I, I suspect you have this problem as well. Several years ago, there was a meeting at Bethlehem. And it starts at a certain time, you know, starts at, I guess it was 6 o'clock, something like that. We were trying to get there. And so Sherry and I, we were all in the car together, and we're on, we just turned on 82, and we were headed over there. Might have been violating the speeding laws, Brother Mackey, just a little bit. And, uh, <clears throat> and we get to the, one of the little side roads uh, past Pate Hill over there, and I look over there, and who do I see but Brother Buddy Abernathy. And his vehicle broke down on the side of the road. But I thought I saw somebody else there, too. So, and, you know, I said, you know what? <clears throat> um, I guess I need to stop and help him. But, boy, i got to get to church. I don't have time because I'm going to be late for church. You know what? I, I went right on <laughs> and, uh, and left Brother. Now, in my defense, there was somebody stopped there. So I'll give, I, will, I will defend myself in that way. But I thought about that so often. Brother Buddy's kidded me about it, and we've laughed about it. But think about it. Think about it. I was too busy trying to meet the rule, trying to keep the rule, trying to get there on time, trying to get there to the church service to stop and help my brother who was in need. That's kind of a funny story, but it's really a sad story when you think about it. It's one of those things that makes me think, what do y'all got me up here as pastor for? Because those kinds of things is what was happening in the day of Jesus. He was saying uh, here, he said, you're saying that you don't have to take care of your mama and your daddy or your brother and your sister. Expand it out if you want to, because <clears throat> you have dedicated this to the Lord. Hey, I've dedicated my time to the Lord. I can't stop and help, brother buddy. <laughs> I got to get to church, you see. <clears throat> they were telling them that. 
let's talk about the solution right quick <clears throat> as we bring this to a close. <clears throat> We're not going to spend a lot of time today at least in the next few verses. But let me read them to you first. Jesus, after excoriating them for what they were doing, says in verse 14, he called all the people unto him. And he said unto them, hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entereth in, entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples didn't really understand, and they asked him about it. So in verse 18, he says, Are you also without are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. He says, What you take in doesn't affect you. I mean, you know, it, it helps you physically, it helps you grow. But it's going to be purged out eventually anyway. And he said in verse 20, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. Now look at this list in verses 21 and 22. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. See, what Jesus is doing here, he's clarifying for them what the real problem is <clears throat> and where the real solution lies. You know, Jeremiah told us about that problem, didn't he? Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? People say, give your heart to God. What would he do with a nasty old thing? He's not going to have anything defiled come into his presence. Your heart is defiled and deceitful. In fact, it's the genesis of all of these evils that are here. He says evil thoughts, adulteries. You know, adultery doesn't start with the body. It starts in the mind. Fornication, the same way murder doesn't start with the body. It starts with the mind. All of these things, we could go through each one of them. Pride, my goodness, where does it start? In the heart, you see. All of these things start with the heart, which affects the mind. <clears throat> so what's the solution? Jesus gave the solution in John chapter 3. He said, verily, verily, I say unto ye, ye must be born again. You know, you know what has to happen in order for anybody any of us, any of God's children, to be able to serve the Lord in a way that does not put us in the category of these Pharisees and scribes as hypocrites. We have to have a new birth. We have to have a new birth. God is not waiting on us to give Him our hearts. He is purposefully, and through His Holy Spirit, through the direct action of the Holy Spirit, the direct voice of the Son of God, borning His children again on his timetable. You know, prior to that time, you have no interest. One of the reasons I don't believe that you can do anything in order to get born again is because he tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. That's the person who's only been born in nature. That's what the natural man is. It's not a spiritual man. It's the natural man. You've been born, but only in nature. You only have a natural 
uh, human nature. You only have the Adam nature within you. He says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Many times we're told you've got to believe and receive the gospel in order to be saved. Well, I think that's a thing of the Spirit of God, is it not? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. You understand that the gospel is the most spiritual message of all? The gospel is the most spiritual thing that there is in this world. The good news that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He saved His people from their sins. Beloved, in your natural state, you have no inclination toward it. You have no ability to receive it even if you had inclination toward it. But praise God, when you find yourself having that inclination, when you find yourself interested in that gospel that good news when you find yourself struggling over your sins when you find yourself condemned by your sins and convicted of your sins beloved that's the strongest evidence there is that you have been born again life must precede light life must pre you don't ever <clears throat> a baby doesn't cry to get life a baby cries because he's been born and he has life See, Jesus says the heart is the problem. That's the problem. And then he says, <coughs> after you've been born again, okay? Remember, remember what we said before about the new birth? The new birth makes a battleground out of the heart. Before that time, there's no battle. The natural man is enjoying the world. The natural man's at home in the world. But when you've been born again, then there's a struggle within you. And at that point, beloved, that's where Jesus teaches us, not just here, but elsewhere, that the real problem is what you put into your heart. What comes out of your heart, <laughs> you see. And the focus this morning on tradition and legalism, he says that focus is wrong. That's never the right answer. Men try to cover it up. They try to make rules. They might try to give you a pathway. They try to say you step one, two, three, and four, and five, and now you're in. You've got to follow that. If you don't follow it, you can't make it. <laughs> I've been reading a book about some of the missionaries that went to Hawaii, and, and bless their little hearts. I, I want to just scream at them. They, they were teaching those, uh, those pagans over there that you had to follow this rule or follow that rule, and if you didn't, you were going to hell. Beloved, praise God. Jesus followed all the rules. He kept all the rules. You and I, we can't keep them. All of these burdens that the Pharisees were placing, it obscured the true gospel message, the true good news. You see, I'm afraid that happens today in modern Christianity. I'm afraid modern Christianity is so complicated. There's so many traditions that have been passed down through the recent generations. And the message is focused on the sinner and what the sinner must do instead of focused on the Savior and what the Savior has done. See, we've gotten away from first century Christianity. Paul, Paul didn't say, watch me, see what I do, and you do it and you will be like me. <laughs> he didn't want you to be like him. He said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
There were teachings even back then, and there's certainly teachings today that you're the one that delivers you from the body of this death. But not Paul. Paul didn't say that. Paul said, I thank God through Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, traditions and legalism will complicate Christianity. You know that the New Testament message is a simple, simple message. It's a simple worship. It's supposed to be simple. Man is a sinner and in need of a Savior. We're to, and we're to worship God in spirit and in truth. Mark begins with that simple message. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ, that is the anointed one. And he's the Son of God. He's the one that could keep the rules. And he could keep them to perfection. And because of his ability to keep the rules and his willingness to do it, and he did it. That's where our salvation lies. And that's the good news. How saved are his people? He tells us in John 10 that no man can pluck them out of my father's hand. And by the way, I and my father are one. <laughs> How saved are they? Eternally. How secure are they? They're not going to fall out of the everlasting arms of the Lord. How complete is our salvation? Well, all I know is what Jesus said. It is finished. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. But I know how people are, and we're the same way, and we could fall into this, but remember, traditions are not the answer. Traditions are what the Pharisees and the scribes were looking to. <clears throat> but Jeremiah says, Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths wherein is the good way. So how far back do we go? Well, I don't have time to go. You read Nehemiah chapter 8 sometime, and you're going to find that they, they had to change the way they were celebrating one of the feasts because uh, they hadn't ever done it right since they'd been in the land. They had not done it since Joshua's day. They hadn't done it right. They were supposed to build booths. They hadn't done it right, but they had to go all the way. You know where they went back to? They went back to Scripture. Now, as we bring this to a close, let me just say, sometimes these traditions start out for good reasons. You know, I'm not sure why they started washing their hands. Maybe they were having trouble in that day with some particular, maybe they had the coronavirus. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the coronavirus or some other plague was going around when that tradition of ceremonially washing your hands uh, uh, started and said, well, this is a good way to remind everybody they need to wash their hands and stay clean. <clears throat> but the problem with that kind of thing when you start adding to the scripture is the next thing you know it becomes almost the equivalent of a commandment. You remember the story I started out with about the ham? The newlyweds that had, when she put the ham in the cooker to, to cook it, she cut both ends off. And that newlywed husband said, why did you do that? And she said, you know, I, Mama always did it that way. I, you know, I, I, you got to. You have to do it that way. I guess it's for the flavor. I guess it lets the, the liquid soak in. We said, I'd just like to know. Call, why don't you call your mama? She called his mama. She called her mama and said, Mama, I, why do you cut the ends off the ham? She said, well, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, my mama did it. That, your grandmother did it that way. Uh, I guess it had to do with the flavor. I don't know. What's, well, let's call your grandmother. So they called the grandmother and, and, and said, Grandmother, uh, I know you've always cut the ends off the ham, and so do I. Why, why did you do that? She said, Honey, 
my pan was too small to put the whole ham in there. Now you see what's happened here? Something that had a practical basis, practical reason, started out for a good, as a good thing, became a tradition, and that poor newlywed husband was missing some of the best part of the ham because she was cutting off the ends and throwing them away. Let's don't be like that. I, I'm so thankful that here at Zion Church, we've been able to be free of traditions. We have some good traditions, a, a tradition that's grounded in Scripture, that doesn't violate the terms of the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, our third Sunday in May is a great tradition. That's a great thing. People come in here who are not primitive Baptists and have never heard the, the, the gospel as we preach it, and they get to hear it. That's a good thing. But we didn't get to do it this year. We had some things that happened. It did, and, you know, those kinds of things can become so grounded in tradition that that could cause a break in fellowship in some places. But I'm so glad we understand it's a good tradition, but that's all it is. It's not a commandment. Are you cutting off the ends of the ham? Don't do that. Don't do that. Go to the Word of God. Go back and see what the Word of God says about anything that you have in your life and be willing to root out those things that don't comply therewith. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.